Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome to the Aging Fearlessly Show. I'm Karen Sander. My question, are you thinking about retirement? And if so, have you a plan in place? I know I've been encouraged to plan my financial retirement and I've been working on it for decades and I hope you have too. There's so much more to retiring other than your finances. So I'm going to ask you again, have you been planning for your retirement? What are you going to do with the extra hours you have every week, the hours you currently spend at work? Many of us are accustomed to working a minimum 35 to 40 hour a week. And when you retire, that's a lot of time to fill. I've met so many people who struggle once they retire. They haven't really planned for their future. They miss the routine they had, even though at times it seemed tedious. They also miss the company of their colleagues and their clients and the stimulation their roles provided. They find it challenging to fill the many hours they now have in their day and to find passion and purpose, the passion and purpose they need to feel fulfilled and happy. Some people have discussed feeling depressed, anxious and completely out of sorts. They really are lost souls. Today's guest is Andy Robin. He's an author, speaker, retirement revolutionist and consultant at the Tapas Life. And he's here to share a wealth of knowledge on planning for retirement and getting started again after your career ends. Welcome, Andy. Why, thank you, Karen. I'm delighted to be included here. I'm uh, thrilled that I've been introduced to you. So tell us a little bit about you. Me? Well, I'm born in Chicago, Mm -hmm. in the U.S., and uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, moved the family to Mexico City when I was seven. Uh, Nobody in the family spoke any Spanish. We had no relatives. When I got to be the age he was when he did that, I just rolled my eyes and said, wow. That's an amazing uh, gamble to take. Very brave move, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up there and uh, eventually went to college in the U.S. and got a master's in business in the U.S. Uh, and had a long career in the computer industry and then the semiconductor industry, microchips. And that was all good. But uh, my wife and I agreed before we got married that We each wanted our careers, which were both going well, and we each wanted to be at-home caregivers of children. And so when we were ready to have children, she quit her job to raise little guys because we decided I might have a difficult time breastfeeding them. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Impeccable logic, huh, Karen? (laughs) Absolutely. uh, 
and we were in a swap roles. I was going to quit my big job and she was going to go back to work when there was something like six and eight or seven and nine. But she discovered an entirely new career. So she, uh, while the kids were small, got a master's and PhD in interpersonal stuff. Mm -hmm. And also we were waiting for some stock options I had to vest. And finally made the swap when the kids were 13 and 15. So you had some time still working. That swap didn't have a, a, have a chance to happen and you become the house parent. That's, that's correct. Indeed, my last seven years at work, I was so done with it. Yeah. I was just being a mercenary to put, you know, food on the table and save up for retirement and kids' education. But eventually we, we made the swap. And one Friday afternoon, I went from executive at a big company to house dad. And how did that feel? <laughs> It, it was great not to go back to the office, although it took my brain a few months to realize that it wasn't just a little bit of a vacation. So probably some of the things that I was just mentioning about oh, not yeah. having your colleagues there, the banter every day yeah. and your clients. I think that's some of the things that can be overlooked oh, when yeah. we walk away from work. Yeah, when you did your prologue there, I mean, you were singing my song. The thing you didn't you didn't mention is that, yeah, then people have the opportunity to do that these days if they're in decent health at retirement for another 20 or 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to just fill that time for a few months. Yes. But uh, I got plenty busy trying to be the parent of uh, 13 and 15 year olds and not losing them and keeping them, keeping them fed and learning how to interact with them more. Actually, I think you had a really tough time. I'm just guessing because it was also teenagers. You know, everybody says that, but uh, interestingly, uh the kids got all the love they could ask for when they were growing up. And as a result, when I got them, they were like, you know, these really fun teenage friends. Uh, and yeah, did they do crazy teenage stuff? Were they quirky? Were they moody? You know, of course. But absolutely. It's a given, isn't it? It's their it, rite it of passage. Is. It, it is. And, and, you know, of course, for me, it was just, well, I'm not going to fight with that. I remember being a teenager. There's nothing wrong with the way they're showing up. We just have to make sure nobody gets hurt and then it'll all be good. So it sounds like you eventually adjusted after a few months. What I want to talk about today is how, well, how long after you went into this particular role of the caregiver, did you actually figure you were retiring? And what was the lead up? You've written this book. So can you fill in a few gaps there? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, I found as the kids, first our son left to college and, and our daughter is exceedingly independent. Um, and you know, I found myself mostly at home alone. My wife was off doing a lot of work for a lot of different places. And so I gradually started trying to build a life. Mm -hmm. And it actually was just a lot of trial and error. It took me about four years to finally have a life that I pretty much enjoyed. 
and then it felt still a little hollow, Karen. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was missing something meaningful. Mm -hmm. I was just being a consumer of resources. And instead, I needed to do something meaningful, which usually means doing something selflessly that benefits someone else. And that's uh, when I uh, came upon coaching and did, did about 300 hours of training to become a life coach mm -hmm. and a little bit of executive coaching, although I like the life coaching better. Yeah. And then I, after four and a half years, I had finally assembled my tapas life. And I was walking down the street near my house and ran into a friend who said, hey, Andy, you look great. What are you up to? And uh, it just dropped out of my head like a gumball, Karen. It was like, well, I'm, I'm living my tapas life. And uh, that was the beginning of it. And, and it's basically a life of lots of diverse activities and ways of being that now make up my tapas life. How great must you have felt when someone stopped you and said, wow, you look great. Did that, was that a really feel good moment? You, you know, it was a feel good moment, but when I left the corporate world for the next six months, every person I saw was like, oh my God, you look so different. You look so much better. Yes. And, you know, apparently it's different when you're in the pressure cooker and you're not in the pressure cooker. So do you feel that the stress took a little bit of time to simmer down? It totally did. It was an 18-month decompression, Karen. During 18 months, all I did was whatever I had to for the kids and the household and to take care of the family. And it wasn't for 18 months that I finally woke up one day and said, oh, I think I have the energy to start in on something. Yeah. And that's when I started taking piano lessons. Ah, so I think, first of all, it's really good for people. This is just my interpretation to actually give yourself the time to find your new life. Would that oh, yeah. be? And but also what I want to talk to about a bit about today is also what you can do before you actually retire to do a little bit of planning, because I know I have. But your topic, Tapas Life, what's the background behind the name Tapas Life? Okay, well, if you're familiar with the food of Spain... Yeah, they have uh, places to eat where you can eat a, a big main dish like we do in the U.S. and as I experienced in Australia and many other places. Uh, but also they eat what they call tapas, which means covers. And it's basically you walk into a tapas bar and you uh, order a few very small plates. And in fact, they're served on plates about the size of a coffee saucer. And you order a few and you're talking with a friend or a spouse or whatever, and you have a few. And if you like, you like one, you order another round of it. If you want to try something else, you try something else. If there's one you don't like, you push it off to the side. And eventually, the, or the table gets kind of covered with all these little plates. And that's why they're called covers or tapas. 
they're diverse, they're varied. And that's what I was trying to capture with the title Tapas Life. Because if you think about it, from the time you're a kid, you have your life prescribed for you mostly. Your parents have you go to school. Maybe then you choose to get advanced education yourself. You eventually get some type of employment unless you're born wealthy. And even then you may go off and get some employment to feel productive and to prove that you're competent in the world and that you can. Yeah. And you do that for some decades. And you may be raising a family too. And between those two things, that's like a huge steak and an enormous baked potato with all the trimmings <laughs> on your plate. Yeah. And not much room for anything else. And now at this, at this time after your long career, I won't really call it retirement because retirement comes from the word retire, which is from the Latin, which means to be taken out of service. <laughs> I've never looked at the word retirement. There you go. I've had a lesson today. So I don't like to think of myself as being taken out of service. I yep. like to think of myself instead of adopting a new phase of life where I can have a lot of tasty dishes instead of just a big steak and a big baked potato. I agree. It's, I like how you're explaining that having that variety in your life is a really wonderful experience, a really wonderful thing to add into your next phase in life. Let's not call it retirement. <laughs> We're not being taken out of life. But yes, in that next phase. So what are some of the things that you yourself have added in your tapas life? Well, you know, my book prescribes an order to things, which oh. I learned the hard way. It's a step-by-step -step book. And if you do it in order, it makes things a lot easier. So the very first thing you have to do, you addressed in your prologue, Karen, you need to put in a little bit of structure. Yeah. Because otherwise, you may spend some weeks or some months where you have a lot going on, or you're, if it's not COVID, you're busy doing some of the traveling you've always wanted to do, things like that. But eventually you'll arrive at a point where you wake up in the morning and you're just in bed and you don't seem to have any reason to get out of bed. And th that may be liberating for a bit, but after a while you get to feeling adrift, you yes. get to feeling untethered, you get to wondering what's the point, and you can get kind of depressed. Yeah, it's very mentally not a good place to be is it no, Your men a... mental health it's that's one of the really important things to look after in your next phase of life it it totally is and so you put in a little bit of structure and some people like a lot one cfo who i interviewed i love this said that he averages three activities a day that are scheduled now who keeps track of that but a CFO, right? Uh, he's one of those, if you look at the Herman brain dominance, he'd probably be in the blue, the accountant type, lots of factors. Of, of course, of course. But, you know, I'm not a ton of structure person, 
but I have found that I like to get up. I like to check the weather and check email. I like to then get some breakfast, maybe read a little bit of news, see what's going on, take a shower and get dressed. And now I've started my day. And during my week, I have to do the laundry every other week. I water the orchids every other week. I like to go to lunch with a friend, maybe a couple of times a week. So I've organized that. I like to go do exercise on the machines a couple of times a week, not because I'm going to be a big he-man, but so that my brain and my body remain connected and I have some flexibility and can age gracefully. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I like to go on some date nights with my wife. Uh, we try to organize to have a meal together at least a few days a week. Important. So there is a little bit of structure. It's not a ton, but it's the right amount for me. And then after that, I well, you mentioned piano. So you have taken up piano. Did you play as a child? I, I uh, had a tragic story as a child. My parents gave me piano lessons when I was eight. And about three weeks in loving it, uh, the piano teacher hit me, hit me with a ruler. Oh. You made a mistake, and I'm going to hit you with the ruler. And I quit. And unfortunately, my parents said that was the end of piano lessons instead of finding me a different teacher who wasn't an idiot. And yeah. uh, so I sometimes uh, dabbled because there was a piano at home over the years, but really couldn't do anything and was terrible. And it would take me months to work on a line or two of music. But yeah, I took it up at 52. I've now been playing for 17 years. I play about an hour and a half a day. Uh, but it's unstructured. I do it when I feel like it, not at a particular time. So it's something that you enjoy just to relax, bit of creativity. I think those things are so important that you have something that you really enjoy doing. Yes, indeed. It was uh, my chapter called Start Doing Something You Love. Uh -huh. And uh, it actually grew from there beyond that. Because uh, it turns out I'm a very logical guy. I'm very rooted in my left brain. Mm -hmm. But when I sit at the piano, Karen, it goes straight into my emotional center. Uh, and that's very important. <laughs> Feels great. And, and it turns into my flow activity, which is the thing where after an hour and a half, it feels like 10, 10 minutes went by. Amazing. There's another factor to this, too, or fact Music, languages, and dancing are all very, very important for the brain as you age. They actually open up a lot of new neural pathways. If, if you take up one of these activities and you haven't done it before, it's, it's one of the best things you can do. It, uh, it totally is, and, and I won't lie, when I started those lessons... You know, the piano teacher has, she had at the time about 70 kid students and about a dozen adult students. 
and she would have the adults get together at her house and play a recital five times a year. <laughs> Only for ourselves. No one else was invited. Yes. And boy, for the first three or four years at those recitals, my hands would shake almost uncontrollably. <laughs> I almost couldn't play. Oh, unbelievable. But that it was worth the work. And as you say, I bet it's been pretty good for my brain. And now it's just sheer joy. Well, one of the things I'd like to do in my retirement, no, my next phase of life, <laughs> <laughs> never going to call it retirement again. Oh, that's uh, okay. Is to go and spend some time in both France and, and Italy and learn some language, you know, to really immerse myself into learning the language where the people around me all speak the language, not just going to a class here in Australia and, and doing weekly lessons because this, I think it's going to be so much more fun when you have to use it every day of your life. Oh, it's, it's actually the only way you finally really learn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my wife and I do like to travel. And we have been three times over the years to Paris for a month. Mm -hmm. We just rent a, an apartment and stay there for a month. And I have, I'm self-taught French, just uh, reading and looking on the internet. And in fact, right now I'm have started a new French course, gearing back up, hoping to get back to Paris in 2023. Fantastic. That's, that sounds like, a plan for the future. You've got to have a plan. <laughs> so you said structure was very important. What else can someone who reads your book learn? Well, after putting in some structure, it's good to catch up. You know, most people have a lot of things they've put off. Yes. And some people haven't done really important things that are crucial at this time of life. Mm -hmm. So if you have not put together a will mm -hmm. or whatever that is in your country, Yes, it's called and a will. It, or whoever's country, wherever yes. people are listening. <laughs> yes. And uh, or a trust document, if your country's mm -hmm. tax laws uh, make that a useful thing. Get that done. Because if you get hit by a bus tomorrow and you don't have that, that's just a pox upon your loved ones. You leave them just a big trash heap that they've got to deal with. Well, we also have things like enduring guardianship. So if you become unwell, yes. power of attorney, et cetera, yes. which are probably very similar, that yes. someone is able to tell the authorities or doctors, whatever, exactly what it is you want if you're unable. Yes. And the, the key with those, which over here we call durable power of attorney for healthcare, the key with that is what you just said, to be very precise. Mm. Because if you say, okay, well, no heroic efforts. Okay, well, what does that mean? I don't so, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you have to be very specific. You know, you might want to have a do not resuscitate. You might want to have a, you know, if I appear brain dead for more than three minutes, uh, unplug me. Yeah. You, you may want to be pretty specific about what you want and put that in writing. And the reason is, otherwise you may wind up in hospital with your dearest loved ones next to you with doctors looking at them saying, well, what shall we do? Mm. 
Mm. You really don't want to do that to your loved ones. You want that spelled out so it's taken care of. I have in the past done some podcasts for people listening in Australia because they're with Australian lawyers as to what you need to do in this country. Yeah. But yeah. obviously you have to do what you need to do in your own country. Yes. Yes. So catch up on that. If you haven't figured out a budget. Oh, as you said, you know, retirement is uh, or uh, planning for retirement for decades as you have is a bazillion books about the finances. This is not rocket science in my view. And I only spend a small portion of one chapter of my book on it. You make two columns in a spreadsheet on paper or electronic, and one column is here's what's coming in, and the other is here's what's coming out. <laughs> and the first one better be bigger than the second one, or you got a problem. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I was I've been doing that in Google Docs this week, yep. just making Good. sure that I know exactly what's coming in and going out. <laughs> Good. Good on you. If you do it conservatively, then in the years when maybe you have some investments that do well, you can splurge and do something extra. And in the years when your investments don't do so well, if you've done it conservatively, then you don't have to cut back so badly. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great advice. So we're doing a budget. And what other things do we need to do? Well, other things you can catch up on, oftentimes people's houses have taken a beating over the years. Oh, yes. You may want to clean, you know, a nice new coat of paint. You may find that you have bedrooms that were for kids to grow up in that you may want to turn one into an office. You may want to turn one into an art studio. Mm -hmm. Great idea. You know. Turn one into a library where you can sit and enjoy music or something. Uh, you may be one of those people. I don't know if you have them in Oz. We have many of them here in the U.S. where people have garages that have not seen a car in decades. Instead, they're full of mountains of stuff that hasn't been used in decades. And... Boy, I will tell you, if you take the time to give that stuff to charity, you'll be helping many others and you'll be taking a huge load off your shoulders. It does feel really good to be able to give those sorts of things away. Um, you make me laugh then when you were saying that because all of that, most of my friends who've been in lockdown in COVID have their houses are immaculate. They've cleaned out their wardrobes. They've, re they've just done so much to their houses. But as I explained Ugh. to you before this podcast, I haven't been home in Sydney for one lockdown. Uh. So I have to go back to all of that. And just before I came away, I started working on my garage. So everything is in piles in the middle of the garage and there's no room for the car when I go home. <laughs> <laughs> so I have my work cut out for me. <laughs> it, it will feel so good when it's complete and thinning out closets and drawers. And, and there's a further upside. Yes. If you do that, then you don't cause your widow or widower spouse to have to do it. 
and you don't cause your children to have, have to, to do, do it. it. And for extra credit for bonus points, after a while, start asking your children, uh, what things around the house do you want? Mm-hmm. And you don't have to give it to them now if you're still enjoying it. But you can find out if there are overlaps where different kids want the same thing. And then you can work through that in advance so Mm -hmm. that it's settled. And you can find out, as most people do, their kids don't really want anything (laughs) or they want very little. Oh, there's a story of a guy that went into the where I live and his mother lived in a unit where I live. And when she died, he just threw it all, her photos, everything onto the pavement, her jewellery, everything, no valuation on it, whatever. <laughs> and we were like, what on earth? And there was, I think, some quite expensive jewellery he threw away. Oh, my goodness. Can I add one thing there? The photos, because if you are anything like me, we used to put all our photos from our travel in albums. And there's some really good apps around now for scanning those old albums, like you hold your camera over the page. One of them, can I, it's called Photomine, but it's a brilliant little app for um, scanning everything to the cloud. And then you can work through what do I really want? Absolutely. Those books take up a garage. (laughs) <laughs> they do. They do. And some, some people aren't as organized as you, Karen. Some people just have boxes of photos. Oh, gosh. And then, then you can, you know, pay a few hundred dollars and there are services. You, you mail that box to them and uh, you do it by some safe way so it, they don't all get lost. And they scan them all and they send you back a little memory chip, you know, with with everything there. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, there, there's some so many things that you can do when you just have a good look around your house. Yeah, so that's, that's a great thing to do. And then from there, you really, you know, in addition to starting something you love, you really have to pay attention to social connection and mm. health. Mm. Uh, if you imagine your life as being a line, Mm-hmm. And Karen, it's going to go from where you are to death. Yes. Okay. And and the death point, we're going to hope, is maybe 25, 30 years out there on the horizon. Yep. We can draw that line two ways. One way, it's a straight line that goes all the way out to the very end, and then finally you fall apart and die. <laughs> yes. Or we can draw that line as sort of an exponential decay curve. Yes. It just sort of goes down and down and down at an accelerating pace. Yep. And what that second curve does is it takes all your quality of life with it. Mm-hmm. Gradually, your life becomes more and more diminished. You become less and less capable of doing anything you like. You're... Mm you become more of a burden to yourself and those around you. Mm. And finally you drive, you die kind of an impoverished, miserable Mm. death. Mm. And so that actually happens to be a choice. You can choose one or the other. Now that's absent an unfortunate gene pool. 
You know, if the last 17 generations of your family have all died of stroke when they're 70, then that's, you know, unfortunate. But absent, uh, absent difficult genes or being cursed with difficult genes, it's a choice. And you make that choice by choosing social connection and choosing health. Mm. My, um, one of my key uh, little phrases is aging is an aging is inevitable. Growing yeah. old is a choice. Yeah, quite, quite and so. I agree. And look, I know some people do have unfortunate gene pools, but there's a lot you can do to help. It's never, it's never just, a, you know, accept it. There are things that you can do to improve your life and to improve your health. And going to see a doctor or the right physical or nutritionist or dietitian is a good option for those people. It totally is. And, and let me demystify this for a moment. You know, on the social front, there's two things that can really benefit you greatly. One is, is make sure you get out of the house and see other people mm-hmm. or that you have other people to the house. If you're a religious person, you know, get into some kind of group with your other peers. If you're an athlete, do whatever sport you like doing with others. If you're a travel person, try to travel with others. If you're a book person, get into a book group. If you're a piano guy like me, get into a piano group. Do something with others. It's about finding your tribe, your community. It is. And, you know, the more of an introvert you are, the harder it is to force yourself. But do it. And you don't have to do it, you know, six hours a day every day. But do it some. Andy, I think some people are a little fearful of going and finding a new tribe on their own. I have a little bit of advice that when you do front up, there will be someone there that opens up to greet you and will invite you in. What goes on in your head about that fear of going, you have to just try and move past that because there will be someone for you there. There will. And, you know, be open and vulnerable and express your intent, which always works. Mm. Look at that other person and say, you know, I've recently left my long career. I'm kind of missing all the social interaction at the office. I don't have a ton of friends. I'm trying to meet a few new people and get out of the house. It would mean a lot to me, you know, could we go to lunch or Mm. I see that you're in this book group, you know, can you tell me a little bit about it? That's perfect. The way you said that, you know, to open up and actually share your position. Yeah. And the other magic in social connection is the really important one. If you have a spouse or partner, you may find that life is very different now than during the years when you or both of you were working and you may have been raising a family. So you had a relationship those decades built on career and family. Mm -hmm. And now you don't have either at hand. You still have family, but, you know, they probably have their own lives now. Mm. And 
you don't maybe have that full-time career anymore. And so you actually can benefit greatly by sitting down with your spouse or significant other and having a lot of conversation over a goodly number of months, Mm. trying to figure out what you want your life to be now, Mm. what you want your relationship to be now, what you actually still have in common and like about each other now. Yeah. What you're not not so fond of about each other now that you may be able to both work on a little bit or at least minimize and figure out your new relationship. Or you get to be there cheek by jowl or you get to get divorced. <laughs> and that's also not always a bad thing. It's a choice. Yeah, absolutely. Can we just go back one little step? What we were just talking about sharing with finding your tribe. If someone is a widow or a widower, it's equally important that you go out and find a tribe, you know, and sometimes losing your partner, you know, it's just a big hurdle to get over. But oh, there are hard. people, yeah, there are people and and tribes and community out there that will help you through that just by going along and being a part of it. Absolutely. And and you'll find you're not the only partnerless person out there. And others will be just as happy to connect with you as you are with them. But it's it's a multi-year process when you're have become a widow or widower and it's it's challenging and difficult and you need to lean on your support systems. I actually, uh, where I live, I have a lot of single friends and, you know, they have the best time getting out and about in groups like we are ocean swimmers, a lot of us. Oh, and, great. And we have the best time and the best trips away. And those that are single, there's always someone to share a room with or to you know, share the driving with or, you know, it's the companionship for, for all of it. Everyone in our group has become such a uh, an important part of our lives. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you would avoid the box jellies, right? <laughs> well, the box jellies are in Queensland. We have, um, we have jimbles. They pack a punch that don't kill you. Okay, that's all right. And they leave it. They leave a decent mark, and you scratch a lot for the next few weeks after they've whacked you. But you know, uh, so we do. We do note jimble warnings in Facebook groups. Uh, of, there's jimbles today. <laughs> anyway, and big knowers, you know, the big knowers. Oh, <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> no, goodness. <laughs> well, anything else that we need to learn today about your tapas life well yeah you can you can choose after having a long career to keep your business brain alive yeah you can use that brain to do part-time work if you wish to or to do some consulting Mm -hmm. or maybe you were in a career where you know a lot of people in your industry you could do a little bit of head head hunting or recruiting Right. Make use of those contacts. You could write about your career or blog about that area of work 
mm. or write research papers about your area of work. You could be a mentor to some of the younger people you used to work with in the industry. And never underestimate how important having a good mentor is. It's so important. And that's also, that's a twofer because you keep your business brain alive and you're doing a meaningful activity. Absolutely. It's very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's different ways to keep your business brain alive and you can choose to do a little bit of that, especially if much of your identity was caught up in your work. You don't have to go cold turkey, as we say in the U.S. You, mm-hmm. you can, uh, you can <laughs> instead taper taper a little bit i and like that you may even find that you're one of the more at one of the more enlightened companies where they're happy to have you taper your work and mm. instead of going from full-time work to retirement you can move to part-time work or you can move to training work of others part-time mm. it's a personal choice right absolutely But if you don't inquire into that, you may never find it. And you'll find some companies now have it in their policies when you, they actually have it written in their policy there for you to read from this age on, you're allowed to go to this amount of hours a week, which is fabulous. That's awesome. I I don't see that here in the U.S. So that's great that more companies are doing that. Yeah, my company, the company I work for is doing that, which is fantastic. Because it's crazy to take all this experience and just kick you out the door. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so keep your business brain alive is one. Another really cool thing you can do in addition to doing something meaningful, which is usually volunteering or helping another, is after this whole life of doing, you can focus a little bit on how you're being. Mm. Well, what do you mean by that? You may find that you have things you do as a full-grown adult that resulted from defense mechanisms you put in place as a child in order to survive in your family, maybe with your siblings and your parents. And you may still be doing those behaviors. But if you take a look at yourself, you may decide that some of those behaviors are way out of date and you'd really like to let some of them go. So in, in my case... I have a brother who's six years older than I am. To my eye, used a lot of energy telling me how stupid I was. And of course, it took me into my mid-20s to realize I was so stupid because he was an eighth grader and I was a second grader, right? There was just stuff I did not know because he was six years older than I was. But he liked to use that to lord it over me and show me how stupid I was. And so for decades on into my 50s, whenever somebody would say something obvious to me, I would go right to that mechanism and say, I'm not stupid, you know, I know that. And finally, in my 50s, after coaching school, I started letting go of that. And now when somebody says something obvious, almost all the time, I say, oh, thank you. Yeah, there's little things like that, that we often don't even recognize in ourselves. And it is good to take a look or to even, even ask someone that you're really close to, what are things I could, you've noticed about me? And if it's someone that you really trust yeah. and, and you don't take personally, I think that's, you know, you could do that. You really could. And for that other person, you know, know that feedback is a gift, right? You're not yeah. hurting the person. You're telling them something 
that they'll find useful and helpful. Yeah. So you can do that. You can do things like be nicer to others now that you're not under the pressure of a career. And now that life has lightened your load a little bit. A bit of kindness. A bit of kindness. And you can go out of your way to show gratitude Mm -hmm. and to appreciate people more than maybe you had time and energy for. There's so many things to do. And And ways to be. And ways to be. Lifelong education. What are your thoughts on lifelong education? Uh, You know, I'm all for it. There was a fellow named Peter Peter Drucker who uh, long ago wrote a book called Management. It was a big, thick tome, and it was kind of a handbook of corporate management. He was a guru of that stuff. And one thing he did starting in his 40s is every two years, he picked a new field that interested him. And he immersed himself in it every two years for the rest Mm -hmm. of his life. He lived into his late 80s. Mm -hmm. Always learning. I did hear also about a fellow who in his 70s decided he wanted to study medicine. Why not? Yeah, why not? Who's going to stop you? So I read a ton of science. As I said, I'm working on French for about the third time keeps getting a little bit better. I'm always exploring new things. Uh Right now, since we just moved to San Francisco from a suburb about four months ago, I'm exploring the city. Uh I found a website called Atlas Obscura. Uh And it has all sorts of obscure things that you can see and do in San Francisco. Uh And I'm exploring them. Yeah. Uh, I'm a 10-year-old inside. I'm always curious. There's Mm. a place here called the Exploratorium, which is a hands-on science museum for kids. Mm. I joined. I I spent four hours there the other day and got through half of it. Yeah. So any other pearls of wisdom for us today, Andy? You know, I guess the last thing I would share with you is Uh, from the poem uh, called Rabbi Ben-Ezra by uh, Robert Browning, in which he says, come grow old with me. The best is yet to be the last of life for which the first was made. Andy, today has been such a privilege to learn about your journey and your book, Tapas Life. If people want to get hold of you, how do they find you? Uh, So if they want to learn a little bit more about me and the book, they can go to tapaslife.com, T-A-P-A-S-L-I-F-E.com. And there they can find a link to Amazon or they can go straight to Amazon and they can order my book as a paperback or as a Kindle electronic book. Mm -hmm. It's cheap because I wrote it to be helpful to others. I wrote it because it took me four and a half years to figure it out. (laughs) In a few hours, you can use the book as a handbook and make it easy on yourself. It's part of my meaningful tapa. It's a a giving back sort of thing from you, giving back from your journey. Well, Andy Robbins, it is a privilege. Um, I'm sorry it took me a little bit of time to 
get to interviewing you, but this has been so worthwhile and I wish you all the best and I'll be watching to see what you do next. Is there another book? Uh, no more books. No more books. <laughs> That's okay. I've said the same thing, but then I think, oh, I can't ever say, ever say never. <laughs> Cheerio. Thanks so much, Karen. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside There's a sparkle in your eye It's not all nine to five It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Let your heart be alive.